Following the instructions of the Athorian Jedi Master, Castian is on an impossible mission to find a planet that, officially, doesn't exist. Castian, it's been several days since you and Laris and Bone on the Howling Gundark escaped by the skin of your teeth through the conjunction in the Lamared system. You're on the bridge with Laris, and the two of you are once again locked in a logistical argument that has been ongoing for days on end. Sir, I really must insist, I have been through my databanks over and over again, and there is no record of a planet called Dathomir. No, I know. There's no planet known as Dathomir. Laris, you do not know everything. I know there's a planet called Dathomir. Uh I have access to the most extensive databanks known in the Empire. No, no, I remember this. I was... Yes, it's, I was, it was one of my first missions as an Inquisitor. I was given a job to hunt down in a bounty hunter, an old bounty hunter that was using the Force. She was Force-sensitive. Uh, I, I had a hard time finding her. And finally, when I approached Tremaine, he said that's because she is from uh, Dathomir. She is a, a, a knight, uh, a knight rogue, a knight, a knight sister. And I asked him for more information on Dathomir. He got me the information, and it was a planet that, that had a subgroup of... I don't, they weren't Jedi. Uh, Force witches. They worked for the Separatists, I think, during the Clone Wars, and they were completely wiped out. This woman was apparently uh, one of the ones that got away. However, before I could even catch her, she ended up being caught by the fifth brother and executed. So I didn't need to know much about it, but I did read a little bit about the planet. It did have an Imperial garrison on it, which means it needed supplies. Which means... There's a pilot out there that delivers supplies, an Imperial pilot. Sir, do I need to remind you that it is not in any of our best interest for you to be liaising with anyone who has worked for the Empire? No, it's not. But we do know someone who might be able to help us out. Razi, Deveronian. Remember him? The handsy one. Oh, yes. Razi. Razi is a Deveronian info chant. Actually, he had a bounty put on him, which Akir sent you to collect about six months ago. You found him on Rishi, and he was able to convince you that he was set up. Because you helped him, the bounty was lifted. But Akir still got the reward because you went out of your way to find the real culprit, so she didn't care that Razi went free. Razi, however, cared very much that he got to go free, and said he would owe you a favor pretty much going to drain us, seeing that we've spent most of this money getting the primary hyperdrive back up and running. Yes, sir. <sighs> Send Razi a message. Tell him that Jove is calling in his favor. Laris does so, and within a couple of hours, you receive a message back from Razi, who seems happy to speak and gives you coordinates to meet on the planet at Ziri. That's good. The planet has a kill order for Akir, some transgression she did in the past. This is Razzie's way to show us he's not aligning himself with her hunt. Well, at least for the time being. Agree to the meeting. Prep the ship, Laris. We'll meet him there. And with your primary hyperdrive back online, it's merely another day's journey to get to Etziri. The nearest spaceport to the coordinates that Razzie gave you is the Skrika spaceport. So that is where Laris puts you down. The people who are leaving the ship is going to be Laris and me. Of course, Bone is in charge. Absolutely. And when you exit the ship, you're hit with the smell of decay and rot. 
it's not necessarily unpleasant because it's not the smell of bodies rotting, for example. It's the decay of plant matter, for Etzeria is a very marshy planet. So it's an earthy smell, a damp smell. Castian takes a deep breath and a slight smile touches his lips. He uh, looks towards uh, Laris before mumbling, uh, I was sold here once. Actually, a very pleasant man. He had me cleaning uh, the aqueducts of his farm. They farm uh, some sort of reed here. Uh, he died, unfortunately, and I was sold to an asteroid mine. It's a pretty nice place, but watch your purse. They will take it if they're not looking. And most people seem to be keeping to themselves. This is definitely a, a place where people go when they don't want to draw a lot of attention to themselves. So out of respect for that, people aren't really looking each other in the face. A lot of heads are down. People are just going from one place to another. And the place that you are heading towards is the trading plaza. I lead Laris right there, if my memory serves me well, uh, from the last time Castian was here, about 14, 15 years ago. Uh, the trading plaza is right outside the spaceport. Yes, it is. So he d they don't even need to take a speeder. They just step right out of the spaceport, and it is just, it's kind of like a tent bazaar of mm -hmm. just millions of people yelling, trying to get everybody's attention. Uh, Castian leans to the side and mumbles to Laris. Uh, don't pay attention to them. They're just trying to distract you so their partners can steal your money. It's a basic con. Just keep on walking your head down low. And she follows your orders. And Castian is looking for... Throughout this bazaar of tents, there are little restaurants. Some are in buildings. Some are in scrap buildings. Some are in just actual just tents. And Castian's looking for whatever cantina that uh, Razzie has asked them to meet him at. The Tipsy Bantha. And as you're looking around, you see a tent that is selling spice. But there is a small placard on the corner indicating that around the back is the Tipsy Bantha. Oh, whoa, whoa. You said spice? Yes. Castian pauses, looks towards Laris, and mumbles, how much money do we have? At the moment, we our coffers are decently full, but as you noted, we are about to be making an extreme purchase. Castian uh, wrinkles his nose as he's trying to debate if he really wants that blue echo. I think you need to make a discipline check. Let's make this a hard one. <laughs> yeah. No result. That's a fail. As you take Laris's arm and she is leading you towards the back, your hip bumps into one of the displays, and it is a display of Blue Echo. The shopkeeper is a, an older Celostian gentleman who sees you knocking into his merchandise and thinks that he's found a mark. Oh, hello, yes, I see you have seen some of our finest wares. Um, um, yeah, yeah. how much is for the Blue Echo? Oh, well, for the Blue Echo, this is quite high quality product, quite high quality product. Only the finest can be sold here in the trading plaza. They're very, very strict. So you have to understand premium product means a premium price. But, but I see that you are a discerning gentleman. Uh, a discerning just, gentleman. Just give me the price. Well, normally, normally one small vial, one small vial will put, set you back only 100 credits. But, but you, discerning gentleman, 75 credits. 75 credits for a little vial? It's one hit. As I said, quality premium product. <clears throat> here, here, here. He uncaps the vial and puts it under your nose. Normally, this is not something that you would snort. It's just to give you a, a hit of the quality we're talking about. Castian, his arm's starting to itch and his heart's starting to beat a little bit. And finally, he just turns away and says, pay the man. Just get a vial for the road. Sir, are you sure? Yes, I'm sure. Just, we don't have time for this. Ah, yes, uh, the lady is, of course, the one that holds the purse strings, I understand. 
Absolutely. You already made the sale. Put it in a bag. Give it to me. Walk away. And he does so. And Castian's walking away. He snatches the bag from Laris after she pays him over. And he snatches it, puts it in his coat. He's happy about the echo, but he's not proud. And he's stomping off towards the tipsy bantha. The tipsy bantha smells heavily of incense to block out that marshy smell that permeates the rest of Etziri. So you walk in and not only do you smell the incense, but the smoke clouds the air, which of course makes it the perfect place for illicit deals to go down. As you're looking through the smoke, you spot in a back corner the Davaronian Razi. There he is. Come along, Laris. And I'm moving over to take a seat. As I said, Razi's a little handsy. So Castian is sitting between him and Laris. Razi is a pudgy Davaronian. He has a bulbous nose. Obviously, sometime when he got a little too friendly, somebody clocked him right in the nose and broke it and it never set properly. Also, one of his horns has been filed down and the tip has been replaced with a cybernetic sensor. Cassian takes a seat, leans back and says, I appreciate you picking a neutral territory. Always happy to help an old uh, colleague. Yes, in that Rishi deal, you stole me that favor. It doesn't cover the job, but it covers the meeting. So, I need your help finding a planet. There's a lot of planets out there. You got anything else to go on? Yes. I believe it's under quarantine. It's been wiped from all the maps that we have. It's been wiped from most of the databases out there. It apparently worked with the Separatists at one point during the Clone Wars. It's called Dathomir. I believe there is an Imperial garrison on it, which means it must have somebody who delivers supplies to it. Uh-huh. That's all I got. Dathomir, Separatist, oh, and apparently it's known for witches. All right. What, you want transport? You want a map? I want the location. I need to go there. All right. He knows how Razi works. For some reason, he claims it's his culture, but Cassian's never heard of a Devorian ever doing this. Razi doesn't like to say the price out loud. He actually carries a flimsy pad, and he always writes down the price, puts it down, and you're not supposed to say it out loud. You look at it, you acknowledge it, and you either say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Or you negotiate, but you don't ever say the actual price out loud. It's a weird quirk of Razi's. Like, the guy's useful, the guy does his job, so if this is a weird quirk of his, whatever. So Castian nods his head and then looks towards the flimsy pad in the guy's pocket, waiting. Razi keeps you in suspense for a minute before he does finally take out that pad and a little writing utensil, scribble something down, rips it off, sets it on the table face down. And then he takes a, a sip of his, his Corellian ale. Uh, Castian picks up the flimsy, looks it over. It's high. Would it completely wipe out our money? I'm gonna flip a destiny point to give you a light side one and say, yes, it would. <clears throat> Castian looks at the price, looks towards Razzy, who is taking a sip of uh, the Corellian Ale, and he's like, do you mind doing a spit take for me? And then he sets the price down and shakes his head and leans back. Perhaps a trade of information would lower that cost just a little bit. What sort of information could someone who's not in anyone's good graces have for me? Because I just want to remind you that if we don't come to a agreeable arrangement, I know of at least three people that want you dead. Understandable. I think I have information that you might find valuable, which is worth lowering the cost. 
So sending those people after me right now, this is not an insult. This is a negotiation. This is what you like to do, Razian. Yes, you have me over the proverbial barrel. So allow me to give you some information that might make you more uh, amendable. I'm listening. And Castian is going to flip over the piece of paper. Uh, Castian, he has kept Imperial Secrets very close to the chest because he doesn't want them to get out. Those are kind of his like last minute deal things. Uh, but what he's going to do is he's going to write down a couple Imperial Codes, which are fairly valuable. Give me a negotiation roll. This is going to be versus one red, one purple. One success, one advantage, surprisingly. Brazi takes the paper, takes a look at the codes, and he pulls open his communicator and he makes a call. You assume back to his ship because he's speaking in Deveronian. So you can't understand exactly what he's saying. He could be ratting you out for all you know. And Castian's just waiting. Razzie's useful. And to the point where Castian wouldn't say he likes Razzie, but he doesn't want Razzie to die. And as soon as he's done, he, he does say, as you could probably tell, the codes are older. You have to use them delicately. But they do match the format for a Imperial code. How'd you come across these, Jove? You're not the only information broker that I go to occasionally. But you are the best looking. Rousey stares at you for a second before tossing his head back in raucous laughter. He slaps the table before smiling at you, Castian. I'll cut you a deal. He writes a new number down. He passes it over. Castian looks at it. The number of credits is more agreeable, but he's also added one kiss from Jane. I just kind of hold it towards Laris and raise an eyebrow. I'm leaving this up to her. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. You can get a kiss from me. He wrinkles that bulbous nose of his. Oh, you don't want it from her. She has a bit of a sickness currently. But what if I tell you I could get you that Twi'lek over there? He takes a, a look over at the, the Twi'lek. Who's, who is this Twi'lek? She's a voluptuous uh, bartender moving around left and right. Castian just looks her over and nods his head. In Castian's mind, he could probably get her to flirt with this guy because Castian was trained by Tremaine on how to seduce, how to charm and stuff like that. So Castian believes in his ability. Oh. She is far more uh, your type, I would say, yes? Yes. Okay, so that's the deal. I'll make her more amendable to talk to you. We pay the credits and... Uh, uh, you do your magic and reach out to us when you find Athamir, yes? Half the credits now, half afterwards. Acceptable. Cassian reaches out and they shake hands. They do. All right, so you go back to the ship and it's just a waiting game. Uh, Razi did not give you any sort of timeline for how quickly he could get you this information. So are you going to stay here on at Ziri while you wait or... Typically, Castian would just fly to another spaceport somewhere, but they need all the fuel they can get. So, yeah, he just has to hope that Razzie doesn't sell him out. Knowing Razzie, it's about 50-50 chance. You're on at Ziri for about a day and a half before Razzie's comm signal comes in. This is Jove. Nira Sawbright. Who's that? The name that you need. Thank you very much, Razzie. Where can I find him? She's on uh, Rory. Rory, I don't know that planet. I look towards Laris. Rory is one of the moons of Naboo. Uh, Naboo. It's a little hot there, isn't it? You asked for a name. I got you a name. And that you did. And I hope I got you a enjoyable evening with that Twi'lek. <laughs> Keep being your jovial self and I'm sure she'll be wife number six this time. 
Seven. Seven? Oh, the one last one didn't work out. I wonder why. Razzie, you are an officer and a gentleman. Click off, and yeah, we're going to head to Rory. Even with your fixed hyperdrive, Naboo is still several days away. Primarily because you can't take the most direct route, of course. You're still trying to stay off the radar. So what Castine's doing this entire time is just reading up in, on information that he can find on this Nira Sabrite. Give me a knowledge core worlds roll. And uh, what's the difficulty? Average. Oh, three successes and a threat. Nira Sabrite is an academic. She works at a college on Rory. She has a long distinguished career. So distinguished that it's a little odd that she's working on a moon of Naboo. Normally you would think that somebody with this sort of pedigree would be on Coruscant or on Naboo itself, you know, somewhere that has more prestige than a swampy little moon. What does he study? She studies antiquities. Cool. Castian just nods his head and files whatever he can away. He is going to just wait it out, meditate, relax, try to not use his one vial of blue echo yet until he really needs it. So you reach the Naboo system. And this is obviously a place that is crawling with the Empire. So what do you do to get to Rory? We're switching over the frequency of our Barlov light freighter to match one that is called the Nuna Egg. We are dropping off and picking up passengers on Rory. Okay. So Laris has rolled computers to see if this change in registry takes, and she got four successes. Of course it did. She's a genius. So there is no question. She has a couple of exchanges with various security ships as she has to go through first security entering the system. And then, of course, as you get closer to Naboo itself, the security just becomes almost unimaginable. And yet, Laris makes it through. Great job, Laris. Of course. I want you both to stay on the ship. I'll go alone. I'll train my parents as much as I can. Uh, this is in, She's in a college, I believe, so I'll get my suit out. And Castian's moving back towards his bunk. And he reaches up, grabs the bin overhead of costumes and starts looking through it. And he finds almost, it looks a little bit like a tweed suit. The sleeves are a little short, just a little bit. Not enough to say like, oh, those are clearly too short. But it's enough that it's like he can't ever get comfortable. But he puts it on. He slicks back his hair. He actually applies some makeup to his face. And he's trying to make himself look respectable. And Laris and Bone drop you off at a spaceport that's near the college on Rory. And Castian's moving towards his college. It's probably named something like Her Highness Amidala or something like that to respect one of the queens from past age. He doesn't care. And he's moving towards uh, wherever the offices are where he could find this lady. It's a small campus, so it's not difficult to find the offices at all. You find the antiquities department, which is about five classrooms and two offices. And as you are passing these offices, you see one that says Professor Sawbright. Not delightful. And I walk forward and I knock on the door. Come in. I open the door uh, and flash for a smile. Uh, Professor Sawbright? Yes. Hi. I know we didn't have a meeting, but do you have a moment? Uh, I, oh, how incredibly rude of me. My name is uh, Taryn. Taryn Sewell. Taryn. Taryn Sewell. Of course. Come in. Yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. And I walk in. Nira Sawbright is 
a, a diminutive woman. She is older, probably in her 50s or 60s. She has short cropped hair that is entirely white. And she's sitting at her desk and she's wearing a large leather coat. She seems to be hunched over a large, very old looking book. Oh, oh, that's uh, what kind of tome is that? The kind of tome that I don't take kindly to bounty hunters looking for. And as she looks up at you, she takes her hand from her lap and puts it on the desk, and it's holding a blaster. Oh, my. Why don't you take a seat? Gastian does. Why were you looking up my name on the database? I was told that you had information that I saw. By who? By an info chant. I didn't get his name. Deception. This is hard. No result. Did the dog eat your homework, too? I'm not giving you his name. But I assure you, I'm not here to hunt you down, bring you in. I'm looking for information. And when I asked who knows this information, this person said, you do. And what sort of information is it? Dathomir. Hmm. Hmm, yes. Now, I was able to do some research on it. Very limited. And I know that they were part of the separatist movement, I believe. And now they're quarantined. An entire planet known for witches. That's what I'm looking for. I need to know the destination. Why does a bounty hunter need a quarantined planet? How do you know I'm a bounty hunter? Who else would be looking up my name? Anyone that looks up my name through legitimate channels doesn't flag my security. You are hiding from something, aren't you? Aren't we all? I agree. So, let's just keep this simple. I need to get to Dathomir because I'm looking for something on Dathomir. I'm not looking for you. I don't care. This is your home. This is your university. Good on you for hiding whatever it is so well under the nose of the Imperials. But I'm going to get that piece of information, and you are going to put away that blaster. That sounds like coercion. This is going to be a red and a purple. Two successes, one triumph, and two threats. Oh, very nice. <sighs> she looks a little rattled by that, and you see her reach under her desk, and you're on edge for a moment of what else could she be pulling out from under there, but it's actually her activating the hidden compartment that she has under there to hide her holdout blaster. So she puts the blaster back in, seals it back up. I believe we got off on the wrong foot. Absolutely. I hold out a hand towards her. For now, let's just keep with Taryn. A pleasure, Taryn. And we shake hands? Yes. Dathomir, you need the location? Just the location. Preferably if there's any safe hyper routes that we can take, that'd be delightful. Hyper routes aren't my specialty, I have to confess. I spend most of my time here on Rory now. However, I do have some maps that may be out of date, but could serve some purpose. Can you tell me why Dathomir was removed from the Galactic Database? I mean, there were many planets, many people who supported the Separatists, and they were not marked off the map. Well, she stands up and you see that she is a, a very petite woman and she goes over to her, her bookshelves uh, and she hits the side of the bookshelf to fold out some stairs mm. so that she can climb up the built-in stepladder here and reach some books that are on the very top shelf. Well, she says, she uh, hefts down a book, kind of teetering under the weight and the size of it as this is a giant oversized book. You mentioned the witches. Yes. I mean, are they 
force sensitive or I mean oh oh child <laughs> sensitive doesn't begin to describe it I can't my head curious and she slams the book down on a coffee table that's between you dust poofs from the book papers kind of scatter around her office Castine's kind of amused that this is a book books aren't really a thing anymore but for an antiquity person they would be and he reaches out, pauses before his hand touches the uh, cover, uh, uh. And nods his head and leans back. She reaches under the coffee table and pulls out two disposable linen gloves before she touches it any further. And she hefts open the book to the center, revealing that it is a false book and there is a computer terminal inside. Castian barks laughter. Hilarious. <laughs> oh, right. Okay, I'm. this definitely fills all the dramatics. Very interesting. She taps a few buttons on the computer. If you'd like, you can roll a computer's roll to learn something about this. Sure. Average. Ooh, two failures. But an advantage. You know nothing. You've never seen anything like this. The only thing that you can glean from it with that advantage is that this isn't hooked up to a network. Okay, so this is old. Mm -hmm. this, is an, this, is, this is an old computer. But it also means that nobody could trace what's happening on it unless they actually got access to it physically. Okay. And she taps a couple of buttons and a hologram. It's a flickery hologram as if the data was corrupted or maybe this is just really, really old technology. Something has made it so this is not a crisp hologram by, by any means. Stories of Dathomir used to be the boogeyman that you would tell your children long, a long time ago, before my time, even. The witches were said to be bloodthirsty monsters who used the blood of children to power their, their mystical abilities. They also have candy houses to lure children in from the forest. No, presumably because candy houses would be destroyed by the Rancor that are native to Dathomir. Rancor? Giant Rancor. Anything on Dathomir grows several times larger than you see it on almost any other planet. Go on. As for why Dathomir was wiped from all the databanks, there's only rumor and stories, many of which are traced back to Chancellor Palpatine. And after that, the story stopped dead. Chancellor. From the Clone Wars. Yes. You said yourself that they were active during the with the Separatists, and apparently something happened there that got under the Chancellor's skin. Because I do not wish to join the stories being dead myself, I've learned not to poke any further. Why have you poked so far, though? I mean, why are you studying Dathomir still? She points at the dust that coats everything now. What makes you think I have looked up Dathomir in the last decade? But why do you have this? When old things fall into my lap, I like to know what they are about. If we do not study our history, we are doomed to repeat it. Fair enough, fair enough. So do you have the location of Dathomir? She pokes another couple of buttons on the computer and the hologram disappears. And instead you can now see on the screen a series of coordinates. Castian pulls out his data pad and he starts tapping away. He pauses as he looks over to her and says, don't worry, this doesn't connect to anything either. She nods. And he just continues to type the coordinates out until they're all completed. He double checks them, triple checks them, 
and then pockets it. There's five coordinates there. I believe that if you triangulate them, in the center is where you would find Dathomir. It has been wiped extremely well from the databases, and the maps that I do have, they're so old that the star charts and the coordinates, they no longer match up with how the galaxy actually is. Anything else you can tell me about Dathomir? It is a planet of death. Well, Professor Salbright, you've been quite helpful. Thank you for your time. I stand up and put my data pad away. If you don't mind, I hope that we can both forget that this meeting ever occurred. Cassian shrugs her shoulder. I don't even know why I'm here, and just turns away and walks out. I'm sure this woman has a story, and she has a history. Cassian's not going to push. Unprod. He got what he wanted. And he's moving back towards the spaceport. You get through the spaceport, no problem. Back to the ship with Laris and Bone. I give the list of coordinates to Laris and say, uh, there are five coordinates there. Triangulate them. Figure it out. Dathomir should be somewhere in the middle. Laris looks at the coordinates and you see her eyes go a little distant, like looking into the middle distance, which you know means she is doing calculations. Sir, at the triangulation of these coordinates, there is no noted planet. But is there a star? It is in the Corelli sector. Then that's where we're going. Go to the Corelli sector. And be careful. I'm sure there's going to be at least a couple star destroyers patrolling the area. Sir, again, is this a wise place for us to go? I was able to bypass sector security here, but a star destroyer is another matter. We'll do whatever we can. We'll go to the end of the sector, peek in and see what's going on, and we'll figure it out from there. I need to go to Dathomir. I was told my infliction could be cured there. By who? Someone I trust. And he's just walking away. Laris would not understand Ghost, so Castian's is going to keep on moving on. Laris puts in the coordinates for the Corelli system. Now, this system is on the outer rim, on the opposite side of the galaxy from where Naboo is. So this is going to be a long journey. And Castian's just trying to meditate the entire time. Mm -hmm. uh, again, just kind of reverting back to meditation as it seems to help a little bit. He's trying to touch that peace that he felt during the conjunction and he hasn't been able to reach it and, and that frustrates him which makes it harder to reach that piece again and vice versa mm -hmm. and lala did warn you that your condition was deteriorating and she gave you a crystal in order to try to help stave off that deterioration a crystal which you drained in order to make it through the conjunction and that's why castian is trying to use the light side of the force i suppose but this does mean that your strain is taking a hit. My strain was one when we left our last adventure. Is it still oh. at one? We'll leave it still at one. Great. I'm not losing strain, but I'm sick. Yes. I'm coughing, hacking a little bit as I move around, like I got the flu or something. After a week and a half, Laris interrupts you again from your meditation. What is it? Sir, we're approaching the Corelli sector. Yes, yes, thank goodness. And Macastian is like blowing out any candles he had near him, standing up, stretching a little bit, and he's just following her towards the bridge. We're dropping out of hyperspace in approximately five minutes. Okay, good, 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 good. Be prepared for anything. Uh, we're going to be on the very edge of the system. Is that correct? Yes, sir. Okay, we'll see how many Star Destroyers are in the system and make a plan from there. And we're going to have Laris do a piloting check. One success. So, you drop out of hyperspace on the very edge of the Corelli sector. 
and Laris is immediately looking at her sensors. Sir, sensors report that there are two Star Destroyers in this sector. They are surrounding a particular planet, aren't they? Yes, sir. There are three planets in this sector that are not on any known database. Any of them livable? One, sir. The one the Star Destroyers are around? One Star Destroyer seems to be in close orbit around the planet. Another is farther out in the sector. Probably looking for anybody like us. Has anybody detected us yet? No, sir. All right. Bone, how are we with our long-range communications? Leave a probe near one of the planets that is not Dathomir, and what we'll do is this. We replaced our escape pod, yes? Yes, sir. Get me as close to Dathomir as you can and fire me off into the escape pod, and then get out of the system. Stay close. When I need you to pick me up, I will use the communicator long distance. It will hit the probe, and it will send you a message to come pick me up immediately. I'm compelled to warn you, sir, that the navigation system on the escape pod is subpar. Of course it's subpar. This is spoiled egg. Everything's subpar here, except for the piloting skills. So I am trusting you to get us close. I will get a bag ready, and I will contact you when to come pick me up. As soon as the escape pod is away, I need you to get out of the system. Do not linger. Yes, sir. Very good. And then Cassian turns away, and he's moving to pack a survival bag. Food, water, rations, weapons. So first you're having Bone launch the probe? Basically, the probe is this. In order to send long-distance messages, you need something more powerful than a communication device. The probe basically acts as nothing. It doesn't send out any frequency until I contact it with the communication device. The probe is going to pick up my message from Dathomir, and then the probe sends that message using a more powerful communication beam to Laris, who is hiding in a nearby system. The message can't be that long, though. Probably a few words along with some landing coordinates. Laris is doing a micro jump in the system, which is kind of dangerous, and firing me off, then getting the hell out of Dodge. Okay. So as you finish packing your bag, Laris comes over the shipwide communication. Sir, our micro jump is about to commence. Do you wish to be on the bridge? No, I'll be on the escape pod. Bone, as soon as we get out of the jump, I need you to fire the escape pod towards the planet and then get out. Jump to the easiest coordinates. I do not want a blaster bolt hitting you from the Star Destroyers. Understood, sir. Castian's climbing into the escape pod, grabbing hold of the piloting stick, like buckling, and he throws his pack and straps it in as well. Like I said, food, water, blanket, just your basic survival gear and several weapons. Mm-hmm. Bone is there as the escape pod essentially is launched manually. Mm-hmm. So he has to be jacked into the interface that's right next to the escape pod. And he... Uh, he, he wishes you goodbye and good luck, sir. Make sure to keep Laris company and make sure she's eating and sleeping. You know how she likes to forget to do those things. Well, it's only human, I suppose. Oh, hey, Laris. Tell me when you're about to launch. I am buckled in. Jumping in three, two, one. And the micro jump commences. And within a fraction of a second later, we are out of hyperspace and we're right in front of Dathomir, hopefully. Yes. You see Dathomir through the viewports on the escape pod, and it's a a planet of of dark reds and purples. The atmosphere is extremely thick. You can't make out any land masses below. All right, here goes nothing. And the escape pod is launched. As the escape pod is launched, you see a blaster bolt cut through space. It rattles your escape pod in a near miss. 
as a Star Destroyer has seen the Howling Gundark. Get out of here. Get out of here, Laris. I'm not even communicating to them. I'm just mumbling to myself as I'm spinning towards the planet and I'm trying to see if she's going to do a jump out of the system. You are completely helpless to watch. As you said, you are spinning. You're unable to gain enough control of this escape pod to keep you steady and focused in one direction. So every time the pod flips, you catch a glimpse of a Star Destroyer, a glimpse of the Howling Gundark, glimpse of the Star Destroyer, glimpse of the Howling Gundark, glimpse of blasters. You feel blaster fire. You see the Star Destroyer again, and when you flip back around, you don't see the Howling Gundark. Please. They made it. They made it. They made it. Now let's see if I can make it. Give me a piloting roll. This is going to be hard with a setback die. One success, but three threats. As the escape pod enters the atmosphere of Dathomir, of course, the turbulence just becomes incredible as this tiny little pod is subjected to the extreme temperatures of a ship entering an atmosphere. Not only that, but once you've cleared the upper atmosphere, it is clear that you have entered a major storm system on Dathomir. The tiny thrusters on this escape pod, they're enough to guide you in the vacuum of space, but once you have to deal with atmospheric turbulence, it's going to become nearly impossible. Uh-oh, uh-oh, I got this, I got this. Use the force, use the force! <laughs> it's all you can do to keep the pod on a somewhat straight course. You had one success? One success, but three threats. Three threats, yes. So you see that there is a mountain range in front of you. And true to what Nearest uh, Sawbright said, this is a giant mountain range, some of the largest mountains that you have seen in all of the galaxy. And some of those crags look very unfriendly to human habitation. So with your success, you don't crash into those. But with your threats, you're still going to end up in this mountain range and, of course, in a completely smashed escape pod. The last thing you see on the viewport is the face of this mountain getting closer and closer, and you're trying to pull up, and you don't know if it's enough. Um, no. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Fandible Solo Shot Star Wars Force and Destiny. Please follow Solo Shot Podcast and Fandible on Twitter, and please share this episode on social media. You can also leave a review for Fandible on iTunes or your pod chaser of choice to help others find us and enjoy games like this one. You can also find us on Patreon if you want to make a donation to help keep our equipment up and running. But most importantly, always remember, may the Force be with you.